Today is part two in this passage that completes John or uh, Romans 5. I was thinking of John Reed Curlin. That's why I said John, our reader. And with this uh, completes our second mini-series through Romans. We're breaking Romans up in five series. I'm going to take a small step away from Romans in July to look uh, at the lives of Cain and Abel, sons of Adam, mentioned in our text. We'll look in their lives uh, in order to punctuate the theme that we've been in in Romans 4 and 5, which is why faith matters, similar to how in April we went through Luke 10 right after Romans 1 through 3 to punctuate why sin matters. In August, we'll return to Romans, and we'll be in Romans for three, four months, chapters 6 through 8, where we'll talk about why grace matters. And grace is a repeated word in our passage. We'll get more into it in chapter 6 on through chapter 8, how grace changes us, why grace matters, but those are coming attractions. The way we've come at verses 12 to 21 here is a part one, part two, and last Sunday was part one. We put verse 12 with verses 18 and 19 where Paul begins a thought in verse 12, interrupts it, and then rejoins it in verses 18 and 19. That's why we put those three verses together last week. Today, we come back to the rest of it, verses 13 to 17 with verses 20 and 21. All we really did last week was address the reality of our sinning in Adam, Uh, why biblical anthropology is like it is, how even though we weren't there, still he was our representative. Adam is the father of all humanity. And thus what happened so long ago flows downstream from there right into our bloodstream, as it were. And this is why none of us escape dying, but we can escape dying death. And by the way, Adam's sin as our father, Adam's sin defining uh, as it is, this does not mean the sins of your father must define you. It's not a one-to-one parallel. We're all born into sin. You you may find a disposition towards something because uh, of the sins of your particular father, but that's, that's not determined. Only in Adam is it determined. We all die because death came through sin, Adam's sin in particular. The reason I give that as an aside is because sometimes it comes up. uh, People say, well, if if I'm stuck with Adam's sin because he's my father in the way that he is, then am I also stuck with my dad's sins? It's just going to repeat through generations. And and, and that's a different plane and experience. It's not a one-to-one parallel. So last week we took two angles. We're going to take two angles again this morning. We took two angles looking at verse 12 and verses 18 and 19 together. And those two angles were the birth of death and the sin of Adam and the death of death in the death of Christ. Today, let's take two more angles in verses 13 through 17 and 20 and 21. First, we're going to talk about the free gift is not like the trespass. Those words are actually in verse 15. And second, we'll talk about grace abounding where sin increased. Those words in verse 20, but also in verse 15, we get a reference to the abounding grace uh, of God as well. First, the free gift is not like the trespass. And then we'll talk about grace abounding where sin increased. So, number one. 
The free gift is not like the trespass. How so? Well, the trespass costs us, costs us everything. But the free gift graces us with everything God wants to give. Look again at verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. We'll get into why he puts it that way. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now let's, let me point some terms here in verses 13 through 15. Trespass and transgression. <clears throat> is there a difference? Not really. The difference is, 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 I mean, they're very much synonymous. Trespass in verse 15 is synonymous with transgress, transgress in verse 14. In fact, if you look back to chapter 4, verse 25, chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That, that's the same word. It could be rendered, um, it could be rendered uh, transgression as well. Virtually the same word. It, it's kind of like escalator, elevator. Both are people movers. They both take you from one floor to the next in slightly different ways. Trespass, transgress, same kind of difference. But now, when we think of trespassing, this word in verse 15, we do have an image that springs to mind. We think of that sign on fences or in certain yards. Uh, no trespassing. A don't go there warning. Consequences follow if you do. And the argument Paul makes here is that God essentially, not literally, but God essentially, as it were, put that sign up in the Garden of Eden on one tree. He gave Adam many things to do, only one thing not to do. And by the time of Moses, Moses is mentioned there in verse 14, by the time of Moses, God gave Adam's sons and daughters more things not to do because God was calling out of Adam's sons and daughters a people for himself to be his prized possession, the people of Israel. The giving of the law to them was for what? To define in greater detail what transgression is, what it means to trespass as God defines it. So second part of verse 13, sin is not counted where there is no law. That doesn't mean nothing mattered between Adam and Moses as if it was all a wash. No. First part of verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. First part of verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So even before the law comes into existence, through Moses, if death comes through sin, what we had in verse 12 last week, if that's the case, knowledge of sin comes through what? Comes through the law given through Moses. We'll get into this more in chapter 7. The law came in order to call sin what it is, to name it, to classify it. I mean, you think about biology class, the organic classification, species, genus, family, order, class. The law is its own sin taxonomy. Death reigned, verse 14, 
Death reigned because of Adam, even over those who weren't knowingly sinning. This is what verse 14 is getting at. That is, they didn't have a law that defined for them, classified what they were doing that was transgressive and trespassing. Verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What does that mean? It means they didn't have knowledge beforehand from God for what God wanted and didn't. Adam's sin was with knowledge beforehand, not just knowledge in his conscience, but knowledge, almost literally a sign on a tree. Don't eat this fruit. Again, it wasn't a literal sign on the tree, but you get the point. Now, it is possible to overthink and overanalyze what happened in Eden. But here, for our sake, all we need to understand is that Adam did not stumble into his sin. He trespassed. Then he hid. And then he blame-shifted the woman that you put here with, that's her fault. These are the component parts of his transgression. The tree that he was not to eat from was not a test or a teaser or any kind of sacred totem. It was there as a living object lesson. When Adam and Eve saw that tree, it kept them mindful they were to live with God trustfully. God told Adam and Eve, you are free in this garden to do anything except not trust me. And to violate trust like they did is to trespass. And these are sin words. So you got the words? Trespass, transgression. These are sin words. Gift. It's a grace word. Trespass does not convey accidentalness or bumbling, but it's an intention to transgress. And just to round this out, look at the last part of verse 14 where it says the type of the one who was to come. Type is an odd-fitting word for us. The original word here was used to describe marking something with an object. The point at the end of verse 14 is that Adam marked history indelibly just as Jesus would, but for different reasons. Adam was the sin giver. Jesus is the sin bearer for us. We've all trespassed. We've all broken trust. I think of that scene in Black Hawk Down, the movie, uh, the scene where the unit is under heavy fire, they're losing soldiers left and right, and a colonel says at one of the, yells at one of the soldiers, get in that truck and drive. Remember this scene, those of you who saw the movie? And the young man says, sir, I can't, I'm shot, to which the colonel says, we're all shot, get in there and drive. We're all shot. We've all trespassed. Adam just went first. We followed willingly. We've all gone in where we were not supposed to be. We've all reached out for what we were not supposed to have. Sin is not the way it was supposed to be. It's the human tendency to mess things up, even the things we're good at, even infecting what we're right about. We've all violated the overarching premise behind every parameter God sets, whether it's the law with all its prohibitions or the one prohibition given in the garden. Behind every parameter God sets is, you are not free to not trust me. And at the heart of all trespassing, all transgression is, I don't want that. 
I refuse to do it God's will, God's way. We've all trespassed. But, verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. Now note how many times he's going to say free gift. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I detect a theme. Free gift, free gift, free gift, over and over again. Verse 15, verse 16, verse 17. In verse 15, it's the free gift of the grace of Jesus. In verse 16, the free gift that brings justification. In verse 17, the free gift of righteousness. Theologically, we love this. Commercially, we're wary of this. All right? And because we're shaped by the commercial, let me talk this out a little bit with you. Free gift in a theological context really means free. But if you see a sign somewhere at a kiosk in a mall or a store somewhere that says free gift, you know that doesn't really mean free. You know that is an incentive. It's an inducement. It's promotional. I was buying a television at Costco. It was time to upgrade. We just moved houses, and that's a good time to do that. It, I only had one set, and it'd been, it was about 10 years old. It'd been about 10 years since I'd last bought a TV. They've gotten a lot lighter, uh, I, I tell you that. And a rep was there from a, a TV provider. They were running a promotion. And so he was kind of moving uh, in the, the, the aisleways there where the TVs are, and, and he, he found me, and he said, you know, we're offering a free gift. A $300 in-store credit at Costco if I not only bought a TV that day, which I was there to do, but if I chose this rep's TV service for it. Well, we all know how this works. And he gave me the rundown of all the channels I would receive through their service. He was very pleasant. He was very uh, knowledgeable. He explained it well and reminded me more than once that if I signed on, I would get $300 in-store Costco credit, which is a lot of Kirkland organic tortilla chips <laughs> to stuff in my face watching my new TV. So I considered the offer. But I declined, which he was kind of surprised by. I'm like, Why wouldn't you want all these channels? And I said, well, that's just it. I, I don't want or need all the channels in your offer. I just don't watch that much. And <clears throat> I won't use them all. And so I, I don't really want to pay for what I'm not using. And, and I noticed you told me the bill goes up later after the introductory period, and I don't want that either. He showed me what the bill would be. I don't want to pay that for television. Now, he countered kindly. He sweetened the offer. But still, I just said, look, I, it's, it's, not, it's just there's too much TV. I don't, want, I don't want all these channels. So I declined again. I did buy the television that I was there to get, but alas, did not get the $300 worth of free chips to consume in the fall while watching my favorite team lose now in 4K. A free gift is usually an incentive. It's an inducement. It's promotional. 
in a commercial context, and we're wary of it. This is why sometimes if you're talking about the grace of God as a free gift with people in our culture, they're so commercially formed, they want to know what the catch is. If you've ever encountered that, sharing your faith, that's what this comes from. It's the, it's the way we are formed by, by our, our commercialism. But in return, I know in a commercial transaction, if I take the free gift, I'm liable to be contractually obligated now and, and I'll feel tied down. Is this not in a way how sin promotes itself to us? I mean, some of you, sin probably does find you in the aisle of Costco, you know, and say, you need this, you know, you need that. Probably finds us all that way. But I think of the proverb, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. That's how the adulteress appeals to the naive young man in Proverbs. Sin has and does cost us far more than we would ever sign on for. Because what's happened in Adam is that we've been tied down contractually by death by way of our birth as human beings into the house and lineage of Adam. You know, this passage, for being as complex as it is, it's actually considered one of the harder places to interpret in in all of Pauline epistles. It's actually rather simple in its point because it's making a major contrast. You've got the father of all who die, and you've got the, the savior of all who die. And... There's another house and lineage that we can be born into. And by rebirth, the free gift of the man of grace, the Lord Jesus. And in that, it's it's not being tied down. You're committed. But it's not being tied down as much as it is being freed by him for him. By grace. Do you need some grace today? You may be this morning where John Fisher described himself one morning. Here's a God at Work testimonial from his book. John Fisher was an early artist in the Christian contemporary music scene. Wrote a book called On a Hill Too Far Away. Hi, John. This is Grace. Just wanted to let you know I was down here. It was 5.27 a.m. and she was right on time. A few minutes early, in fact. It was a good thing, too, because I'd failed to get her phone number the night before and I would have no way to get to the airport if she hadn't shown up. There's no way she could have known how significant a statement her words were for me at the time. She was merely following through with her assignment to pick me up at my motel room and drive me to the airport for an early morning flight home. She was a member of the church group I had sung for the previous night and had volunteered for taxi service. I hadn't even remembered her name until she said over the phone, Hi, John, this is Grace. Just wanted to let you know I was down here. Those simple words hit me with an entirely different manner than she could have been intended. For her, it was a casual statement, probably her first words of the morning except for ordering coffee with two creams and sugar at the 24-hour market on the way to my hotel. But for me, those words were the words of God, breathed to me over the in-house telephone line of my hotel by the Holy Spirit, catching me totally by surprise in their directness and disarmament of worry and guilt. Hi, John. This is Grace. Just wanted to let you know I was down here. I'd only been awake for half an hour and yet somehow managed in that short space of time to put myself into a guilt trip that was taking me further and further away from the truth. I woke up with baggy eyes, regretting a choice I'd made the night before, and I was already working myself over for it. It seemed like a harmless thing at first, staying up late in my room to watch TV. 
But that was after telling the sponsor I wasn't able to go out after the concert with some of the members of the group because I had such an early flight the next morning. What if God had wanted me to be with those people and I, in effect, had lied to them because I came back to my room and stayed up for two hours anyway? Not to mention that my TV viewing had no redeeming qualities and not to mention that the schedule I was under allowed for only a minimum of sleep for the next few weeks. Not to mention the demands of being separated from my family and knowing I did not have a moment to waste on myself. And now I was starting a new day off, the wrong foot already, bemoaning my lack of sleep, having all these guilty thoughts clogging up the beginning of another day as if ruining the night before wasn't enough. That's when the phone rang and a voice out of nowhere said, Hi, John, this is Grace. Just wanted to let you know I was down here. Now, yours, whatever it is that you came in here with this morning, yours may be a lot worse than his. Much more than he was feeling guilty about, that he'd misled his hosts and that he allowed the TV to mislead him. Maybe yours is far worse than that. Maybe no one can ever know what yours is. You've hidden it very, very well. God knows. And how does he respond to you? Where your sin increased, his grace abounded. This is our second point. That grace abounded where sin increased. It's from verse 20. The law came in to increase the trespass, meaning name it, classify it, organize sin for us, help us understand what this is about when we're failing our Creator. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And I, <clears throat> excuse me, I love that word abound. Because when something abounds to us, we almost kind of find it hard to believe. That's, that's actually part of the point. You know, whenever I preach grace, <clears throat> and I will through chapters 6 through 8, we'll talk a lot about grace, I can expect one of two realities. Some will misunderstand me. They'll take me to be overlooking sin. Uh, to not be as committed to self-discipline and self-control, to, to be promoting some kind of sloppy agape, as people say. And you know, in some ways, if gospel preaching never leaves you open to that charge, you're probably not preaching grace enough. Grace is that good. But also, when abounding grace is springing up from the text of Scripture, I expect that some have this Response, you know, this is just too good to be true. And that's kind of the point as well. <clears throat> I just can't believe God is that generous and good. There's a sense in which we're, we're always strangers to grace. We're always marveling at God's goodness to us. I think one of the things that happens to you as you get older in Christ, I'm having this experience is that the grace of God becomes more precious to you, not as a license. In your youth, you kind of you acted like, you know, <clears throat> how far away can I get and still be in earshot? And we'll get into that in chapter 6. But the older you get and the more you know your heart and the, and the damage of sin in your heart and, the, and all the ways that you're broken, uh, grace becomes something very precious to you as a, 
as, as just a, like a possession that, that nobody could offer you anything for. There's a sense in which we're always strangers to grace. We're always marveling at the, God, at the goodness of God to us. And so our sin, if I can put this editorially for a moment, just meaning all of us, lumping us all together, all humans, our sin has never stopped increasing. There's nothing new under the sun, as the preacher put it in Ecclesiastes, and yet we don't learn the lessons. We keep doing what those before us have said, don't go there, and we keep going there. We keep breaking apart families and ourselves and other relationships. Human sin has never stopped increasing, but grace has also never stopped abounding. You can't out grace. In chapter 6, we'll essentially say to us, it's a fool's errand to try. Why would you want to? Grace teaches us to draw near to God, not see how far out of earshot we can get from Him and still consider ourselves in range. But even if you do go there, even if you do get way out of earshot, He is still unbelievably gracious. You never have mined the depths of His grace. No matter what you came in here with this morning, your hidden sin so well that nobody's ever going to discover you did that then at that place or repeatedly or the things that, that you're aware of, you know, yeah, I've got a temper and yeah, I've got kind of a wandering eye and yeah, I've got this, that or the other. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you've never plumbed the depths of his grace to you. Jesus pushed the envelope pretty far when he told the prodigal son story. You know, prodigal means reckless. And in his cultural context, what that young man did to his father was so over the top that the story, and Jesus knew it would be this way, actually made his enemies hate him all the more. Because it's, it's a reckless God who loves that way. He smashes all the, the boxes that, get, that, 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 that try to confine him, that he can only love this way, only this person, etc. and so on. They thought in their minds, there's no way Jesus could be speaking the truth of God for how far he pushed the grace envelope. You see, grace is like that. It disarms us. That's exactly what we need to have happen to us, to be disarmed. Because in our sin, it's like we take up arms against God. Grace is meant to disarm us. It's a, it's a kiss for a curse. Now, this we know. You know this already. But do you realize grace is also terrible in its judgment? What do I mean? Look at the phrasing in verse 20. The law came in to increase the trespass, that is to name it, classify it. Now we know what sin is because the law tells us. Grace, or where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, verse 20. Let me put this in, a, in another little story. Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist, I've quoted from him before. He gives us a portrait of sin increasing in a character of his from his novel Crime and Punishment. The character's name uh, Marmeladov. And Marmeladov is a derelict. He's a drunkard. He has a family. And he doesn't support his family. In fact, he takes from them. He's constantly drinking up the family's meager food and rent money to the degree that it prompts his teenage daughter, Sonia, 
to basically save the family by becoming a prostitute in order to support the family, and she even supports her father. And that she does this for, for her family to have means, to have something to eat, it, it chastens her father, Marmeladov, beyond his ability to endure. It works on him. And finally, in this climactic scene, he's among his friends, he's drinking with them, and he can't stand himself anymore, and he stands up and he, and he holds his glass and he, he says, this very court was bought with her money. Thirty kopecks she gave me with her own hands, her last, all she had. She said nothing, only looked at me without a word. And then he looks up toward heaven and he says, not on earth, but up yonder. They grieve over men. They weep, but they don't blame them. And it hurts more. It hurts more when they don't blame. It's a a fantastic insight into the nature of grace for the guilty. Because Marmeladov is talking about God and the grace of God is terrible in its judgment in just this way. It is such goodness in return for every which way we've turned on God to indulge ourselves. We would almost rather he blame us when we're being honest. See, the only people who know we need grace are the guilty. And so grace is terrible in its judgment in that the more sin increases, the more grace abounds. Grace deals in and with sin. Grace addresses the sinner as is. And so Dostoevsky's insight is so keen. When we really see ourselves for who we are in relation to who Jesus is, it does hurt more that he doesn't blame us. That he doesn't heap scorn and condemnation on us. You see this in Peter, one of the disciples, that time when they're in the boat. And Peter is is caught in his unbelief. And he says, uh, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Terrible in its judgment and devastating in its mercy. The grace of God. But you want this judgment. This is the judgment you want. Because it's the judgment that keeps you from condemnation. Verse 21, so that... As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reign of grace does not leave us feeling tied down for being ruled by Jesus because it's not a contract. You keep up your end and he'll keep up his. doesn't work like that. It's a gift, truly a free gift that comes from the deep goodness of a God who could have condemned us but instead gives light and life in and through his grace to such as we are. I don't know a better thing I could tell you. Let's stand. Let's pray and then we'll sing and be dismissed. It's your, it, it is because of the mercies of the Lord that we are not consumed, the psalmist says. But Lord, when we get downwind of ourselves, so often in that guilt and that load of shame, we just say, Lord, we should just finish us off. And you're so good to us. And Lord, we have never plumbed the depths of your grace, and we never will. 
because uh, it's, it's a vast ocean. It's oceans within oceans. Thank you for revealing to us how good you are. Forgive us when we forget. Draw us near when we forget. Remind us through your people as well as your word of your goodness to us in Christ. And all this means, thank you for taking a people to yourself in whatever condition you found us, in whatever condition we are. Thank you that grace covers. Thank you that we're not accused, but that we stand in the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, given to us as a free gift with no... uh, no attachments other than the love of God for us. And we thank you for all this means in Christ's name. Amen.